Do we have any Lord of the Rings fans? A few? Every once in a while, I'll be talking to someone, and I get up especially early, and I'll say, um, I think it's time for second breakfast. And only Lord of the Rings fans understand that, because the hobbits, who are the heroes of Lord of the Rings, really, uh, you know, they eat first breakfast, second breakfast. Yeah, yeah, 11, yeah, just, they eat all the time. When I'm, uh, when I talk to other people about uh, Advent, and I mention second Advent, only the initiated get that as well. Because so oftentimes our focus is on Jesus' arrival, and it's not on Jesus' second arrival. And yet, we, until we have our eyes focused on his return, this life and his first arrival won't even make sense. There's a scripture that I put in your outline that we're going to repeat over and over again because I think it highlights this reality. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this is the only life that we have, and if we're putting our hope in Christ for this reality only, then we ought to be pitied because we're giving up all this, the the pleasures and the things of this life in order to follow Christ. But in reality, this verse should not surprise us because we live the, the, we, we should recognize the evidence around us. The sadness in this world can be overwhelming at times. And especially during these kinds of seasons, it escalates. In and around the holiday seasons, it, the sadness can be overwhelming. Even for Christ followers as well as, but especially for those who don't have hope in a second advent. The emptiness and the disappointment of things that we think should make us happy and should make us happy and promise to make us happy if happiness can really be found in this world, and yet they don't. The inability of mankind to even get along should alert us that there's got to be more than just this life. Amen. The selfishness of human beings that just never ceases to amaze me, the depth of selfishness that can, can be exhibited, ought to point us to the fact that there's got to be more to this world. There's got to be more to reality than just this world. The shortness of life, especially those who die young, don't make any sense unless there's, a, there's another life. So the only way to make sense of this life is to live for the next life. So I, I wanted to give you just a short uh, synopsis of what God has really been up to through Jesus Christ, beginning with that first advent. So on Jesus, in, and I put this in your outline, Jesus' first arrival was an invasion. It was establishing a beachhead because he came into a world of darkness. John chapter 1, we saw that, the, uh, I think it was back the last week in November. In John chapter 1, that this world is dark, this world is evil, this world is upside down. And so when Jesus arrived, it was an invasion as light into the darkness. Jesus' life then was war. 
It was war against the spiritual forces of darkness. Everything Jesus did was around the purpose of restoring and recovering what was lost through sin that turned everything upside down. Jesus' death and resurrection was victory, even though it looked like defeat at the time to this world and to the kingdom of darkness. It was actually victory, conquering by his death, sin and death and fear. Jesus' ascension back to the right hand of the Father was his coronation, when he was then once again established as the rightful ruler. When he sent his Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he filled his followers with the Holy Spirit, and by doing so gave them new hearts and power his power to conquer the things of this world and, and, and then to be about the rescue mission. And so our lives are, in essence, a continuation of what Jesus did as a rescue mission for those who are lost. So when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, it's because our job is to storm the gates of hell. And, capt- and, and, and free those who have been captured by sin as we once were. Our deaths then are about going home and the reward that we will experience. The Apostle Paul captured it. I didn't have put the scripture down here when he said, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what I should do. I, it would be much better if I, if I died and went to be with Jesus forever, but... At the same time, God still has work for me. So I will choose, it would be better by far for me to leave, but I'll choose to stay here because I want more and more people to come to know Christ. And that, my friends, if you are a Christ follower, is the only reason that you're here, is to be on mission for him, to help those who are fellow soldiers and and then to rescue those who are captured by the enemy. Which brings us then to Jesus' second arrival as the completion and the restoration, the perfect restoration of all things. And so I want to, that's where I want us to land today. Because the first advent actually sets the trajectory for our lives to focus on the return of Christ with the second advent. So let's talk about what do we do? How do we do this? Number one, we need to let go of this world. We need to let go of this world. Now I say that, and I've said it, and I continue to say it, and so it's not new. But it's hard, right? (laughs) And it's a constant challenge because we'll never um, have to stop trying to do so. This world captures us, and especially in the affluence in which we live, when it's comfortable, when it's easy compared to the rest of the world. It's hard not to hold on to this world. It's hard not to be focused on this world. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are to, of all people, most to be pitied. We have to let go of this life because this life is preparation for the next life. Turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 2. Anybody need a Bible? We got some back here we can distribute. Anybody? Looks like we're good.
First John chapter 2. He says, do not love the world or the things in, in the world. And he's not talking so much about the physical, although that's included, as much as the whole reality of this life, this physical life. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he's not being mean there. He's just saying the reality is you can only hold on to one thing. You can hold on to God or you can hold on to the world, but you can't hold on to both at the same time. I've discovered that with small children, <clears throat> if they have something in, your hand, in their hand you don't want them to have, and it took me a long time. You know, as a parent, I would just try to towel them or grasp it. Or, and when I try to grab it from them, they would hold on tighter. Give me that butcher knife. <laughs> give me that rat poison. You know, give me that bleach. You know, it's stuff that they, but they hold on to it because they think they want it. But I've discovered that if you give them something that they like more, they'll let go of that, which they have in their hand, and take that what you give them. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what God is saying here. He says, don't love the world. Don't hold on to the butcher knife. Don't hold on to the rat poison because what I offer to you is so much more. And if you, but if you don't let go of the butcher knife, you can't have what I offer. For all that, verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, some of you may remember in the King James, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, <clears throat> is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's not that those things are bad, it's the lust, it's the human desire, it's the selfish desire. Because God gives us good gifts, God gives us food, and he gives us the material possessions, but it's the overwhelming desire, it's the wanting to hold on to it that he says is not from the Father. And the world is passing away along with its desires. It's fleeting. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Everything is passing away except the things of God. We have to love God most, and it won't be so hard to let go of the things of this world. It's one thing to say that I'm letting go of the world. It's quite another to do it. In fact, I have come to understand that God loves us so much that he will do whatever it takes to get us to let go of this world in order to take hold of him. But the, and here's the hard part. We usually only let go of the things of this world by him allowing hard things in our lives. And so when hard things come, as Hebrews says, it's discipline. It, he's, he's putting us through painful, difficult, heartbreaking, hard stuff so that we will stop looking at this world. Because, because we live in such affluence and comfort, we get used to it. And we don't realize that we hold on to the things of this world because we're comfortable. And so he has to send hard things. And so... I would, I would encourage you to take time to think about the hard things in your life that you might be resisting and begging God to take away that maybe he's using to get your focus on that which really matters. 
And that's why it's so important when the hard things happen, we say, God, how, what are you seeing in this? What, how, what are you trying to do in this? Because hard is not bad. Hard is just hard. And it's the hard things that God uses to get us to the best things. I put one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And that's so true. That, you know, the, the reality is the longing that we have, no matter how close we get to Christ, no matter how intimate we, we, and aligned we become, there's always going to be a, di- a deeper longing that will never be fulfilled. Because it will only be fulfilled at the second advent. Let go of this world. Number two, pursue following Christ. Pursue following Christ. We talk a lot about this also, so I'm just going to hit it with the big picture. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we have all people most to be pitied. If we're following him, if we're pursuing him just for what we're going to get here and now, then we should be pitied. Hebrews chapter 12. Turn there in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, the first few verses. Pursue following Christ. Let go of the world, pursue following Christ. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those that we will see, those that we will experience at the second advent, let us also lay aside every weight. Pursue following Christ. And here he's given us the picture of a runner. And when he says, um, lay aside every weight, he's he's not even talking about sin at that point. He's talking about the things that are obstacles, the things that are hindrances. It's like trying to run a 100-yard dash in a parka, right? Or with, with, with snow boots. It is, it's, it's a weight that doesn't work. It's a weight that will keep you from pursuing Christ. So anything in, in this world, and, and so the, the longer you live with Christ and the more that you pursue him and, and follow him, you will discover that he is pushing you to let go of stuff that is not bad. It's just getting in the way. So lay aside everything that gets in the way. And then he says, and the sin which clings so closely, the things that you keep coming back to, the things that are kind of a, uh, an addiction or a hard thing or, or, or something that you lean on when you want to feel better. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That which God tells us to do. And, and it's, you know, some people are running the 100-yard dash. Some people are doing the 440. Some people are doing pole vaulting. You know, it's a different race for everybody. But it's the one that he has assigned you and that you can only know as you are intimate and aligned with him. But run it with endurance. Run it with perseverance. Don't give up. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. With our eyes on Jesus, pursuing him with endurance, 
following his words, following his example, we pursue following Jesus. And then holding his perspective, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And I think here he's trying to get at, sometimes we whine and complain about hard, how hard things are, and we forget the, the, the hard things that Jesus endured. We whine about this, the, the little things. That, I mean, they seem like big things at the time. But by having a broader perspective, then we get an idea. You know, I thought, I thought we used to, uh, you know, here in Pennsylvania, we have um, hills. I mean, they're called, people call them mountains, right? And, and you go on Route 22 and you see this sign, um, what is it, the, the, um, the peak of the Allegheny Mountains or something at like 2,000 feet, something like that. Yeah, the, at the summit. And then um, in, the, in one of the workshops that I teach at, um, I went to Colorado. And every morning I would wake up from this place I was staying and I faced the collegiate peaks of Colorado, all of which are over 8,000 feet. And then I came back to Pennsylvania and I thought, we don't have mountains. What changed? Perspective. If all I know is a 2,000 foot peak, then I think that's pretty tall. If I go and I see 10, 12,000 feet peaks with snow on them, I realize, oh, that's different. I can climb an Allegheny Mountain. I'm not even going to start over in Colorado. Perspective. And, and so when we hit hard things, we need to go to Jesus and say, what do you see? And then when he shows us the cross, oh, my, my stuff's not all that hard anymore. Pursue following Jesus. And then number three, here's where I want to spend the rest of our time, is eyes on Jesus' return. And I, and I discovered as I was going through this week how few times I talk about this or think about this. But the early Christians thought about it all the time because their lives were so hard, because they faced death at every corner, because they didn't know if tomorrow the Romans would arrest them. They didn't know when they gathered together if... Um, some Pharisees would report them and they would all end up in jail. And they were killing men, women, and children. They didn't know. And they thought about it a lot. I think we need to start thinking about it more. Because really, this life only makes sense in the framework of the next, of Jesus' second advent. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if this is where we're focused, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's the assurance of the world to come. Jesus' return, the promise of heaven, is what causes us as Christ followers to be willing to endure torture or imprisonment or being rejected by family or any other kind of pain. What we see in Scripture and over the course of history since Jesus' first advent is people willingly endured the worst because they were confident of what was to come. And 
Paul is a great example. It's, you know, when he would face things, he was like, yeah, go ahead and kill me. Yeah, you'd be doing me a favor, right? Go ahead and torture me because that just adds to my reward when I get to heaven. And when we, when we live with that attitude, nothing can touch us anymore. Romans chapter 8, verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And when he says patience there, he's not talking about the, you know, being patient with the driver ahead of you. <laughs> he's talking about this confident endurance that God is in charge, that God is in control. So we, Jesus is coming back, and it's the promises of his return that give us the real hope They give us the real strength. I've noticed that I'm a lot more relaxed watching an intense movie the second time around. How about you? Because I know what's going to happen. The first time around, I think, oh, my hero's going to die. And even though I know my, because my brain is shut down and the adrenaline is all over the map and but then you watch it the same time through, you go, oh, I know what's going to happen. I've discovered that I'm a lot more relaxed watching an Ohio State football game if I know that they won yesterday. <laughs> because no matter how far behind they get, I know somehow they come back. And I know that those Christ followers who have their eyes on the second advent are a lot more relaxed when difficulty comes in this life. Amen. We got to get our eyes on, this, on Jesus' return. Yes. So let's take a couple of, let's look at a couple of scriptures. I put one there, just first is a warning that Jesus gave in Matthew 24, 4 and 5. He said, Jesus answered when they were asking about, when you, well, when are you going to return? When are you going to set up? And he goes, stop it. He says, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. You can't be fooled if you know how he's coming back. Amen. Right? Every once in a while we hear somebody say, oh, I think this is you know, the Messiah, the Messiah. No. Because, if he, because of what we're going to read next. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the first part of, verse, of chapter 5. We read part of this in one of our scripture readings. So here is... Um, Here's the, the, what did I put? The, some of the information. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And that's the biblical term they used to say that instead of who have passed away. Because they wanted to indicate that they're not, they're only partly dead. Or, or, or what was it in the movie? They're only mostly dead. <laughs> From Princess Bride. They're only mostly dead. They're not... They're, they're not fully dead. But why? Because they're going to live again. And so they use that term to remind us that people who have left this body are not really gone. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Have you ever been to a funeral where there was no hope? I officiated a funeral years ago where people literally were were throwing themselves on the coffin, wailing, because there was no hope. He says, that's not the way we read. We have hope when others don't. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Eyes on Jesus' return. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So when Jesus returns, he'll come as he left, and as he comes, the dead in Christ, those who have passed away, will meet him in the air, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That's how Jesus returns. So if you hear a rumor that somebody in Podunk, North Carolina, is, the, is Jesus, he's come back and everybody needs to come live on his mountain with him, you go, nope. Somebody needs to take him somewhere for evaluation. <laughs> or prison, depending on his motivation. Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. We can have hope regardless of the difficulties that we're going through when we know what's going to happen. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Why? Because Jesus said, When he was asked, only the Father knows. I don't even know. And so when people are fussing and wasting all kinds of time figuring out the sun and the moon and the stars and, you know, Jesus. And it seems like it's always September. I, you know, that's why, you know, the world's going to end on September something or other. You can, you can write those people off because you can't figure it out. So he says, you know, we don't, don't waste time on this. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying there's peace and security, which is what the world is always promising, right? Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Eyes on Jesus' return. We will not, um, it will come suddenly. It will come when people don't expect it, it will come when the lost, the darkness, the people who are not following Christ are unprepared. But, verse 4, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So we're not going to be surprised. We just, because we'll always be ready. For we are all children of light, children of the day. We're not the, of the night or the darkness. We're not following other things. We're following Jesus. Our eyes are on him. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake, be sober. That's the, key. That's the key. Pay attention to what Jesus is doing. Pay attention and be ready. Pay attention because you never know. It might be before we say amen today, or it might be an, another thousand years. We don't know. It's God's plan, not ours. Because his desire is, is for as many people as possible to come to know him and enter into his eternal heaven. That's out of his love. The same love that sent Jesus the first time will only send him the second time when it's right. Not surprised. In 2014, my dad passed away suddenly. 
about eight years before that, he finally had accepted the Lord. Um, and it, it, it never made him... <laughs> yeah, it, it, he was still Bob Schaefer. And there were people still shaking their head. But he had accepted Christ, and he began to read the Bible. There was just evidence that something, he had changed, but not as much as we had hoped. <laughs> and then eight years later, I got a phone call on April 17th, 2014. My sister said, uh, her dad passed away. And he, I, he hadn't even been sick. In fact, he'd been the doctor uh, just recently who said, Bob, you're going to outlive me. You're so healthy. But it was his time. After we got home and I began to talk to my mom, um, after a few days I discovered that it was when he, was, he, he got up real early that morning, his hip was hurting and, and they were putting ice on it, trying to make him feel comfortable. And then after a few hours he was sitting in his chair and he looked up and he stretched out his hands. And he said, oh, it's you. And then he died. And I think, he wa it wasn't like he was surprised because he recognized that it was Jesus. Oh, it's you. And so as immature of a Christian my dad was, even as an old man, he knew. And that's... We need, that's the kind of awareness we need to have. That's the kind of being sober. And so that it's not a surprise. It won't be a surprise when we pass away and we see Jesus. It won't be a surprise if we're still alive when Jesus comes. But we don't know when, but we know for sure. That's the information. Now, I want to get to my favorite part. The joy and the reward when Jesus returns. Life is short. No matter how long you live, life is short. Eternity is long. I mean, if you live to be 100, eternity lasts forever. So life is short, and we can endure anything if our eyes are on what's coming and the promises that he gives to us. So go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Almost the last chapter, chapter 21, and I want to read a few verses of what we can look forward to. And in all of this, just by the way, frames the loss of loved ones. Those loved ones who don't follow Christ, who pass away, breaks our hearts. But those who are following Christ... We grieve because they're gone. But, it, you know, if we could send a message, if we could have a conversation, hey, would you come back? And they'd look at us like they were, we were crazy. Why would you want me to leave this? I'm home. Here's what it's going to look like. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Why? Because the original design was a perf perfect Eden, that was turned upside down by sin. And so that one's going away. And the new one that will restore Eden, that, Ed that Edenic perfection, 
We'll, re- we'll, we'll replace it. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. God with us imperfection. The longing that we have that can never be fulfilled, that's the fulfillment. And it brings tears to my eyes because that's what we want. That's what we're longing for. Now, I'm, I'm along with Paul. I think he's still got stuff for me to do. But I'm telling you, going home is the better option. I want you to notice the next verses. All the, all the stuff that's upside down now that will be turned right side up for Christ's followers who endure this life. Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. That's an intimate experience for someone to wipe the tears from your eyes. In other words, as a loving heavenly dad, he's going to come close and he's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. All the stuff that has caused us, the pain, the difficulty, the frustration, the hurt, all the stuff that we've been through, he's going to wipe our tears and death shall be no more. We don't ever have to worry about it anymore. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the end. To the thirsty, there's that longing. To the thirsty, the, the, within us had been, a pla- been placed the desire for eternity that this world can't fulfill. And here he says it, those who are thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That's the longing C.S. Lewis talks about. That's the angst that we have. It's an um, experience of what we were created for that will only be fulfilled at Jesus' second advent. Verse seven, the one who conquers by eyes on Jesus by pursuing Jesus, by being obedient, by surrendering and listening and obeying and enduring whatever has to be endured, will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But there's a reality check. And we need to remember this because we live in a world where increasingly there's a universalism that says God loves everybody and everybody is going to heaven. Here's the reality check. But as for the cowardly, those who refuse to follow Christ in the hard stuff, the faithless, those who don't put their trust in him, the detestable, who turn away from God, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All that he promises in the first seven verses are for those who are pursuing him. Letting go of the world and pursuing Christ. But the reality check is, not everybody gets that. 
those who refuse Christ end up in, in, a, in a description that is just as awful as the description of heaven is good. If in this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are to be of all people most pitied. Friends, as we, as we um, close out this year and go into the next, we need this hope. We need to get our eyes off of this world. We have to live here. I mean, we're, we're living here for a purpose. And until God calls us home, he's got work for us to do. But that means hard things and difficulty and, and hurt and all kinds of stuff. And, but you know what? God's bigger. He's bigger to take us through it. And the reward will be beyond comprehension. Would you bow your heads? Are there ways that you're holding on to this world that you need to let go? Anything that came to mind? If so, God wants to help you let go. He's the God who is for you. He will help you let go. Are there things that you're pursuing other than Christ? Is there anything that is preempting him or trumping him? It can be very, and, and usually after we've been Christians for a while, it's a, something simple that's taking, that's distracting us, getting us off of what he wants us to be spending our time and our energy on. If so, let that go. Surrender to him. He wants to help you pursue him. He will give you all that you need because he loves you so much. Do you have your eyes on Jesus' return? This is a challenge for me because I confess that, that that's not been a big part of my focus. It will be worth it when we see Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would honor the prayers that have been expressed that you will come alongside, that you would fill each one of us, and give us your mind and your heart and your soul and your, your endurance to be about what you're about. Help us to leave here today laying stuff at your feet and leaving it with you and living more fully with our eyes on you and our eyes on your return. I pray that as we enter the new year as a church family, God, that you would show us more and more um, clearly and intentionally what you want us to be about and how we can be more, better the family, the army that you have called us to be. And on this day, as we continue to celebrate your first advent, Lord, make us a blessing to every person that we come into contact with. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.